we're just going to enter into a time of conversation um, around this idea of John 17 unity. And, and just to kind of get us in the flow, we've been discussing um, a series of topics that biblically we think are critical for the church to be positioned and, and just leading up to the return of the Lord um, to be that purified bride. We've already talked about repentance. We've already talked about the need for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And this is a conversation on unity and Jesus' prayer um, in John 17, let them be one just as we are one. And we've brought all of you guys on this call just because it's a core component of your ministry and of what God is doing through you. Um, so I just want to ask, I want to start off with a very practical question. So often we focus on the barriers or the problems, but, and Gaylord, I'm just wondering if you could start us off with this. Can you tell me an instance where you have seen an incredible unity in the church that can only come from God? And, and just panelists, as we start this, let's just try and keep our responses brief, one to two minutes, just so we can all dialogue. And, and feel free to jump in. Don't wait for me to ask a next question. I will jump in, but feel free to just respond to one another as we, as we continue in this conversation. Well, I think we're actually experiencing one in our city right now. Um, when I started ministry, full-time ministry, 50-some years ago, uh, the churches were very divided, competing with one another, undermining one another. Uh, and it, there has been such uh, an amazing transformation in our city where pastors are now loving and supporting and have each other's backs and are acknowledging you don't have to be exactly like I am, or you don't have to do things exactly the way I am. You're in my family. I love you. I'm committed to you. And it's uh, probably we've just seen a, a more recent, we've had a lot of tragedy uh, in our area, a city that got burned up in a day and a paradise. And, uh, and now this uh, COVID thing. And um, it's just really amazing when pastors have learned to love one another as Jesus has loved them. And there's a unity that begins to come. And I think that's probably the most stunning thing for me, Jonathan. It just touches me to watch them living this out. Guys, any, any of the other, any of you want to share on that? Just instances where you have seen a substantial movement of unity. Um, that looked like Jesus prayer in John 17. Yeah, I, I would just piggyback and say, you know, I haven't seen, I won't say that I've seen sustained uh, movements of unity um, throughout history until uh, recently. I, I can say I've seen several crisis moments and seen where crisis will drive people together. You know, a, a city burning, whether it's from a wildfire or whether it's from 
a hurricane or a, a, a terrorist attack or, or something like in our city, Ferguson, which now other cities are experiencing, Minneapolis is experiencing mm -hmm. in an unprecedented way. Yeah. Um, but the crisis has a unique uh, ability to cause every other wall and hindrance to fall mm -hmm. and for people to realize their need for, for one another. So I've seen those real powerful moments where it's like an unprecedented unity happens, uh, and, and then somehow that gets gets broken down once the moment begins to fade into memory. Um, but I can say in the city of Atlanta, there's a movement called One Race, and uh, there is a level of buy-in, um, pastors and leaders. Uh, entering into covenant, you know, and I think that's the key, and we may talk about this later, but just really entering, not not on a, a, a basis of, hey, let me just honor who you are and what you do, but on the basis of, I am completely deficient without you. And I think there's something very, it's called one race, but I really believe that the premise of, of why they exist um, theologically, which we can talk about later, but I think that's helping uh, by us understanding that we're, it's not really an option. We're, we're family yeah. across cultural and across denominational and generational lines. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> Let me piggyback on that, Jonathan, because I think I would have, uh, I was, the word crisis came to mind for me was that I've seen crises that uh, bring about unity, but um, which is great, right? And that, that reveals that the barriers aren't too steep. Uh, but there are also some other barriers that are revealed in the crisis. And so, um, you know, I'm here in Minneapolis and observing in real time uh, mm -hmm. what's, what's going on with the church in, in the Twin Cities. And I, I'm observing something really interesting because you know, you could argue Minneapolis um, has a good movement of um, unity across uh, racial barriers. They've done Sankofa trips for the last, I think, four, three, four years. And, and it was interesting, though, as in the last two days when they called together um, sort of the citywide leaders for these Zoom calls, I had this interesting observation where the African-American pastors, multiple of them said, you know, I really wasn't eager to get on this call. I wasn't sure it was going to be worth my time. And what it showed me was, I think there's a real need for uh, that deeper unity. Maybe it is a deeper covenant unity that doesn't just respond to crisis. And it's at least from the white sort of evangelical side, I'm realizing and observing that we just have to humble and follow the United African American Church in the in the Twin Cities right now. They are super united and they've got the plan. They've got here's this neighborhood, here's what church is going to do here, and here's what's needed here. And and here's our call for justice. I think that's an interesting one. One of the key African American leaders here, pastor um, in the Twin Cities is basically saying like, look, if you want to do something different, um, we have to make this call for the you know, prosecuting attorney to get off of this particular case because of X, Y, and Z. And I think 
some of us typically avoid those political things. And I found myself just saying like, well, if we are, if we're going to unite and follow our brothers, I trust their decades long leadership in this city and trust their judgment. And that's a different kind of unity that, that I haven't experienced or even had to wrestle with quite honestly. Father Phil, you are um, just doing a great work in Denver. I know last uh, last time around Pentecost, I was able to gather with you there and um, just worship together with the amazing saints there. Tell us, what are you seeing? What is giving you hope for the answer to Jesus' prayer that you're already experiencing and seeing in Denver? I think one of the things that... Uh... I'm seeing a great deal more coming out of this crisis than I have uh, in, uh, um, I've only been at it 30 years, Gaylord. Um, so, um, so I'm still kind of wet behind the ears a little bit. And, uh, <laughs> um, but it's, um, you know, last year uh, was our fifth year of doing this between Ascension and Pentecost. And it was the first year for us to try to do something in real time, in a real place at our um, little church that the Lord, the Lord has given us a, a church building after 18 years as um, Bedouin people. Um, and uh, so we hosted 240 hours straight and Jonathan came and was a good part of that. Uh, we had an amazing time, uh, about 25 or 30 churches that uh, took part in that in different times and places, times and ways. Um, it was what we've been experiencing here on the Zoom and the Zoom technology in person um, last year at this time. Um, uh, a little daunting to keep a building open and going for 240 hours, um, but uh, um, the culmination of that came, I think, um, just a couple weeks ago when a call went out as a result of this um, crisis that we're in to the Denver pastors over two days, we saw 70 pastors on a Zoom call. They set up a 72-hour uh, prayer time for the Denver area. Uh, we ended up having, uh, in that 72 hours, we had uh, 210 prayer rooms that opened up, and um, 1,800 people came and, and joined in on the prayer call. Um, so. I think, you know, I've, I've known for some time that uh, crisis is, uh, is a part of the equation. Um, that's why uh, God allows sometimes these kinds of things to happen. Or, and if he doesn't allow them theologically, then he uses them. Uh, and, um, you know, to, to break down our walls, to show us what's important. I heard the word reset this morning already, uh, and I believe that's what that that's the time that we're in reset through repentance. That we are uh, in um, a realignment period. We're realigning with the Word of God, 
we're realigning with uh, our uh, Jewish roots. We're realigning uh, with the Spirit of God on this Pentecost weekend. But out of that, I believe that refreshing is going to come. I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to breathe into the church and um, release us into the harvest and the harvest into the church. Uh, Jesus prayed in, in Luke 10 uh, to uh, pray, for the, pray for the harvest, pray for the workers of the harvest. And um, I loved what John, saw, John Robb said about being positioned. Uh, I believe that we need to position ourselves to be ready for the harvest. Uh, and um, then there's going to be a time of rejoicing that, that takes us into Jesus coming back. Um, and we're, we're in that right now. Amen. Well, thanks, guys, for just sharing some of your experiences of seeing unity. I'm hearing um, crisis is a component and in fact Stephen just in the chat just said crisis is part of the equation what are some other just key elements um in seeing john 17 gaylord i just i'm going to start with you if we could what has been key in seeing the transformation in your city over a long time you've been in, you've been pastoring and ministering there for many years 40 50 years maybe What's been a key to seeing this transformation and, and what are some of the keys to seeing John 17 unity? Well, I, I really appreciated what uh, Jonathan said uh, when he was sharing his, his piece about, you know, Atlanta and, and all that. I'm really interested in that, Jonathan. Uh, and you brought up an interesting word. They entered into covenant relationship. I think foundational to this, and it goes beyond crisis, uh, happened on the night that Jesus prayed for unity in John 17. And that night, he did announce a covenant, a new covenant. And I, uh, Jonathan, I just feel like totally we have missed the fact that we are in covenant together. Uh, and uh, and. Uh, to have to make another covenant in one sense for me feels like we're having to say what Jesus did wasn't enough. I think if we grasp that covenant and the one commandment that came with it, which was a new commandment, a new covenant, a new commandment given the same night, love one another as I have loved you. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Uh, I'm, I'm just, as you know, I have been rocked by this uh, almost 20 years ago now. And I missed it for decades. I just did not see something so simple. In fact, when I saw it, I thought, I'm the only one that missed this. It's so obvious. Everybody knows. <laughs> it. But there is a new covenant. And if we would say... I am in the covenant, and therefore, I am committed to the command that holds this covenant together. It's loving each other the way I have loved you. And it's, it's our mark of authenticity. We know we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. It's so much who we are. And um, I, I've, I'm feeling right now, I mean, one of the things that I'm doing in 
uh, in trying to expand the narrative of Pentecost is uh, a series we're doing called 50 Days to Love uh, between Passover and Pentecost. And uh, the theme of it is Romans 5, 5. God has mm. poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given to us. And I think sometimes we miss this, what I think is the core element of Pentecostal outpouring is the love of heaven being poured out. Now, I believe in being clothed with power. I believe in being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, I believe in all the gifts and graces that come with it. But if it is not, according to the words of Jesus in Matthew 7 and in, in uh, Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 13, if we do not have the love that motivates this, we have totally missed the point. And... Um, and, and are in, in danger. And I, I think this is one of the elements of where we really need to examine our hearts and just say, Lord, um, I don't want to use uh, this uh, amazing power of your Holy Spirit for selfish uh, ambition or for my own aggrandizement or for finance. Uh, these are gracious gifts and they flow in the river of his love. So, Jonathan, for me, it starts earlier in the evening, uh, on that final evening with the disciples. It's a new covenant, which we have all professed to be in. And it's a new commandment that came with it. Mm. That was beautifully said. Any others want to, any, any of the panel, just, just, uh, Piggyback on that, say more about that, or, or bring up another key element of John 17. I, I, yeah, I, I would love to. I, I love what you said. I'm so passionate about this um, because it was, it, it was a new covenant in a new family. Yes. In covenant, I mean, we look at the marriage. Marriage is a covenant in two individuals with two separate histories and two different bloodlines come together and take on one another's name. They even say that people who've been married, you know, 50 years or more begin to look like one another. They begin to sound like one another. And it's not that they, they look 100%, they still have their distinctions, but there's, a, there's attributes and they, in the covenant of marriage, there, the weakness of one is the strength of another, and the strength of one is the weakness of another. Amen. And there's a, a, a oneness. That's, that's beyond unity. I mean, I, I love the word unity. It's in the Bible, but I think it's a lower, le a lower level of revelation than one. Because I can be united with you, but if you get hurt, that doesn't affect me besides my emotions. But if we're one, if you're a part of me, if, if, if you get hurt and you, if, if, I, if you're the hand uh, and you're a part of my body and the hand is amputated or broken, then I am not as complete as I was with you. And I'm not as strong as I was with you. And that's where I think we, I think we have honestly had a low revelation of oneness and a low revelation of John 17 because we've talked about it in context of just unity as in context of yeah, well, we're one. <laughs> we're, I, I am because you are and you are because I am. 
And so I think that, you know, Jesus comes and in that prayer, he initiates a new way of being. You are now one new man. You're, you're now one holy nation. May they be one as you and I are the same person. I, I mean, is that, it seems so simple, but it's, but it's complicated because we just, we haven't gotten it. We're not there. And so, uh, yeah, I'm just going to, I'll stop there because I could go all day. But I, I feel that this is so intense as it relates to our revelation of who Jesus is and what he accomplished on the earth. Hey, I'd love to follow up on that one. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that whole Ephesians picture of you know, he tears down dividing walls and makes one new man on a, you know, down to the very practical level. What does it look like in the neighborhood when, you know, we do, I go around and do pastors workshops, uh, more like, um, yeah, workshop style around the world. And we always get these sort of neighborhood conversations going. And the, the number one question we always ask after pointing to the scriptures about, you know, oneness and, and unity in the body of Christ is what's the barrier? And around the world, the number one barrier that always comes up is lack of trust. And so then we are always asking ourselves how, if lack of trust is the number one barrier, what is it that we can do as leaders in the church to create context for building or establishing relational trust? And, and I go to Philippians 2. For me, Philippians 2 is sort of this picture of, um, right, the, it's like the big picture is oneness. That's so clear. And then you get down to practical. How do you actually walk that out? And I don't think it's possible apart from humility. And Philippians 2 is just the perfect picture of humility. And, and unfortunately, in our whether it's Western leadership or whatever sort of leadership culture we're in, it's always sort of self-building. It's build your own program, build your own church, make it distinct from the church down the street and yada, 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 and make sure you, you, know, you have the best children's program because that's what builds churches, whatever seminary you were taught in. But Philippians 2 has this picture of, you know, it's that verses 3, and four, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. And what if you applied that to pastors and leaders at the neighborhood level, where you said, actually, your as a congregation, your initiatives, your priorities, your calling is actually more significant. And we're going to come alongside that because that's displaying a bigger kingdom picture than any one of us with our awesome website or our awesome program of justice or whatever it may be. Um, so I think to sum it up for me, I don't see it happening without this real element of humility that's surrendered to the, the goodness of the other. Just a couple of footnotes. Um, I, I totally agree uh, with Mylan. Um, the um, w when I began doing this 30 years ago, one of the things that happened was that I and two other pastors entered into a written covenant, actual written covenant, with one another, and um, 
have lived that out over now 25 years. Um, and um, I really believe that that kind of thing, uh, an understanding of koinonia, an understanding of what it means to be in a member as a member of the body. I posted something by A.W. Tozer on the chat just a few minutes ago about um, being tuned to the tuning fork, and that's what uh, I've been teaching on some time uh, for for the last year or so about um, the orchestra and First uh, Corinthians twelve. Um, from an orchestra standpoint, um, that we're really tuned to one thing, and that is Jesus Christ, uh, and He is His Word, and uh, and then His the timing, um, understanding our own gifts, understanding and honor, honoring for one honoring one another is very important. So, Mylon, thank you for that. Um, it's it's absolutely necessary that we honor one another and understand that the the work of the Spirit brings us into that unity, but the the work of relationships is what keeps it. He said, "Strive to enter into the the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace and the bond of shalom," mm -hmm. and that's the that's the key is to, to, to maintain relationships with one another. And that's what builds trust. Wow. Well, guys, I feel like we could go on all day, but we have to get on to the next segment here. Unfortunately, this has been really good. Um, Papa Gaylord, if you would just pray a blessing over us as we conclude, um, we'd, we'd appreciate that. So, Father, uh, we, we ask that you would so powerfully in this uh, Pentecost season uh, that you would pour out your love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit and that there would be uh, a, a, a new level of expression in the body of Christ that would produce that oneness that that being one and uh bring to life the realities of who you've created us to be as uh, one new people one new race in the name of jesus we're so grateful for this uh, miracle and what you have done but we're asking for this i just pray over the regions that we represent over the area this the city where mylan is we just uh, all all over the nation right now, you see the torment uh, mm. that is happening because of our sin. And we cry out to you to do a sovereign antidote with an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much.